0: Part two, Chapter thirty five of Thus Spake Zarathustra by Friedrich Nietzsche, translated by Thomas Common. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. THE SUBLIME ONES: Calm is the bottom of my sea, who would guess that it hideth droll monsters? Unmoved is my depth, but it sparkleth with swimming enigmas and laughters. A sublime one saw I to-day, a solemn one, a penitent of the spirit. Oh, how my soul laughed at his ugliness. With upraised breast, and like those who draw in their breath, thus did he stand, the sublime one, and in silence. o'erhung hung with ugly truths the spoil of his hunting, and rich in torn raiment. Many thorns also hung on him, but... I saw no rose. Not yet had he learned laughing in beauty. Gloomy did this hunter return from the forest of knowledge. From the fight with wild beasts returned he home, but even yet a wild beast gazeth out of his seriousness, an unconquered wild beast. As a tiger doth he ever stand, on the point of springing, But I do not like those strained souls. Ungracious is my taste towards all those self-engrossed ones. And ye tell me, friends, that there is to be no dispute about taste and tasting? But all life is a dispute about taste and tasting. Taste, that is, weight at the same time and scales and wear, and, alas, for every living thing that would live without dispute about weight and scales and wear. Should he become weary of his sublimeness, this sublime one, then only will his beauty begin, and then only will I taste him and find him savory. And only when he turneth away from himself will he o'erleap his own shadow, and verily into his sun." far too long did he sit in the shade the cheeks of the penitent of the spirit became pale he almost starved on his expectations contempt is still in his eye and loathing hideth in his mouth to be sure he now resteth but he hath not yet taken rest in the sunshine as the ox ought he to do and his happiness should smell of the earth and not of contempt for the earth. As a white ox would I like to see him, which, snorting and lowing, walketh before the plowshare, and his lowing should also loud all that is earthly. Dark is still his countenance, the shadow of his hand danceth upon it, o'ershadowed is still the sense of his eye. His deed itself is still the shadow upon him, his doing obscureth the doer not yet hath he overcome his deed to be sure i love in him the shoulders of the ox but now do i want to see also the eye of the angel also his hero will hath he still to unlearn an exalted one shall he be and not only a sublime one the ether itself should raise him the willless one He hath subdued monsters, he hath solved enigmas, but he should also redeem his monsters and enigmas, into heavenly children should he transform them. As yet hath his knowledge not learned to smile, and to be without jealousy. As yet hath his gushing passion not become calm in beauty. Verily. Not in satiety shall his longing cease and disappear, but in beauty. Gracefulness belongeth to the munificence of the magnanimous. His arm across his head. Thus should the hero repose. Thus should he also surmount his repose. But precisely to the hero is beauty the hardest thing of all. Unattainable is beauty by all ardent wills. A little more, a little less. Precisely this is much here, it is the most here. To stand with relaxed muscles and with unharnessed will, that is the hardest for all of you, ye sublime ones. When power becometh gracious and ascendeth into the visible, I call such condescension beauty. And from no one do I want beauty so much as from thee, thou powerful one let thy goodness be thy last self-conquest all evil do i accredit to thee therefore do i desire of thee the good verily i have often laughed at the weaklings who think themselves good because they have crippled paws the virtue of the pillar shalt thou strive after more beautiful doth it ever become and more graceful but internally harder and more sustaining the higher it riseth, yea, thou sublime one, one day shalt thou also be beautiful, and hold up the mirror to thine own beauty, then will thy soul thrill with divine desires, and there will be adoration even in thy vanity. For this is the secret of the soul, when the hero hath abandoned it, then only approacheth it in dreams the superhero. Thus spake Zarathustra. Notes by Anthony M. Ludovici These belong to a type which Nietzsche did not altogether dislike, but which he would fain have rendered more subtle and plastic. It is the type that takes life and itself too seriously, that never surmounts the camel stage mentioned in the first discourse, and that is obdurately sublime and earnest. To be able to smile while speaking of lofty things and not to be oppressed by them is the secret of real greatness. He whose hand trembles when it lays hold of a beautiful thing has the quality of reverence without the artist's unembarrassed friendship with the beautiful. Hence the mistakes which have arisen in regard to confounding Nietzsche with his extreme opposites, the anarchists and agitators, For what they dare to touch and break, with the impudence and irreverence of the unappreciative, he seems likewise to touch and break, but with other fingers, with the fingers of the loving and unembarrassed artist who is on good terms with the beautiful, and who feels able to create it and to enhance it with his touch. The question of taste plays an important part in Nietzsche's philosophy, and verses nine and ten of this discourse exactly state nietzsche's ultimate views on the subject in the spirit of gravity he actually cries neither a good nor a bad taste but my taste of which i have no longer either shame or secrecy end of part two chapter thirty five recording by john van stan savannah georgia